You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I've got two big announcements that I want to share with you. So the first is that you can now find episodes of Revision Path on the AIGA website. As you might know, I'm a member of AIGA's Diversity and Inclusion Task Force. And over the past few weeks, I've been working with them on curating a selection of episodes of the show to feature on their site. So if you go to AIGA.org, go to Programs, and go to Diversity and Inclusion Initiative, you'll see a dozen interviews there. And it's a really good cross-section, I feel, of the show, really represents what the show is about. And this is huge for several reasons. But the two biggest reasons, one, it lets more people find out about Revision Path. That's always a good thing. But also, it helps really showcase the diversity that's out there in the design industry. I know a lot of people have kind of taken AIGA and other organizations to task for not really showing or featuring black designers. So this is a big thing that AIGA is including this as part of their content. So make sure you thank them. Make sure you go and check it out and let me know what you think. Second, our 100th interview is just a few weeks away and you have an opportunity to be a part of this milestone episode. So as a listener and supporter of Revision Path, you're really what helps keep this show going week after week. And I want to include you in this episode, so send me your comments by October the 9th, and I'll feature them during the 100th episode. You can send text, or you can send audio, like voice notes that you do on your iPhone, but please keep them under one minute in length. Again, send in those comments by October 9th. You can either contact me directly through the website if you have a text uh, comment, or for audio, just send it to mail, M-A-I-L, at revisionpath.com. Now let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. Sign up today at MailChimp.com. You need a new domain for your next project? Check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. They also have this cool new feature called Hover Connect that allows you to automatically connect any of your Hover domains to popular services like Tumblr, Squarespace, and Shopify. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code ROADTO100 and save 10% off your purchase. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, and a whole lot more starting at only $2. They give away a selection of free goods every Monday. Of course, today is Monday. And they've got great bundle promotions every month. And if you see something else that you really like, use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we are now up to 21 patrons for a combined total of $157 per month. Again, huge thanks to everyone that has already pledged your support and appreciation for the show. It truly, truly means a lot. If you want to become a patron of Revision Path and get some access to great perks like special giveaways and early access to future episodes, head on over to patreon.com forward slash revision path and make that happen. Pledge level started just $1 per month. All right, now for this week's interview. I talked with art director, graphic designer, and illustrator Vanessa French Harris. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. 
My name is Vanessa French-Harris, and I am a graphic designer and art director working in the Raleigh, North Carolina area, and I've been doing that for 20-plus years at this point. Talk to me about how you first got started with design. Sure, sure. I'd be glad to. It's interesting. I My degree, my bachelor's, is in illustration, my true love and my passion is actually drawing. So that's what I went to school to do. Um, I graduated with a degree in illustration. My parents said, we'll give you four years of college and then you're out on your own. So with my degree in illustration, that really wasn't going to pay the bills, especially living in New York City. So I got a job. My first job was working for a cartoon syndicate. Those are the folks who distribute cartoons like Doonesbury and that kind of thing. And because I had an illustration background, I was hired to actually draw cartoons that they would then license onto products. So my job was to like put a character on a T-shirt so they could show it to a manufacturer. But then after that, I did that for about a year and was looking around for something else, looking for a job that you know paid a little bit more. And at that time, CBS in New York City had a diversity initiative. They were trying to bring in people of color into their corporation. And I learned about that and applied and was accepted. And so my first sort of graphic design job was working for CBS Publications at the time on one of their magazines as a graphic designer. And I worked under an art director and assistant art director. That was my training ground in graphic design was working on that magazine. Fell in love with editorial work and magazines and worked on two magazines while I lived in New York City. Now, which school did you attend in New York? I went to Parsons School of Design, right in the heart of Greenwich Village. Okay. So I think when people hear Parsons, they might think Project Runway, but Parsons is not just a fashion school. Am I right? It is not just a fashion school at all. I mean, that is definitely a big part of it and a lot of what it's known for. But when I went there... There was a very popular table that's still around called the Parsons Table, and it was designed and created at Parsons School of Design. That's how it got its name. And you've seen this table. It's a basic square with four legs. It's a very modern-looking design. But the Parsons Table was very popular, you know, and it was sort of in everyone's mind as connected to the school. So when I applied, I knew about that. And, you know, so it, it definitely has a full full range still does of art disciplines from graphic design, environmental design, architecture, illustration, fine arts, and then, of course, their huge fashion department. And they also have satellite schools. I think when I was there, they just opened one in California, Otis, and then Parsons, Paris, which are probably still going. Okay. Joelle Riffle, who's one of our Patreon patrons, Uh uh, she had a question for you specifically about your experience at Parsons. How do you feel that it helped kind of prepare you for your career? I thank Parsons every day for the background that they gave me, the foundation year. I vividly remember, you know, you're 18 years old. You think you want to be this. They put us all in something called a foundation program where you get to explore all sorts of different disciplines so that at the end of that year, you're supposed to be able to choose your major, as it were. But really, I mean, Parsons has such a great reputation that even now having that on my resume, I still think it opens doors. So going through that experience, it was probably considered 
like a professional school. So they were really training you to leave that school and get a job. So I really felt that it trained me to be a professional, how to present yourself and go out and, you know, represent yourself and represent the school. So it was a great school when I was there. I can speak to that. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Got a lot out of it. And it did, like you say, prepare you for a job because you were working pretty much right after you graduated. Actually, I started working my senior year again. You know, I knew my parents in my ear saying, you know, you got to get a job. So, (laughs) um, and you know, being in New York City, which is why I chose to go to a school in New York City, just because of the world it opens up to you in terms of opportunity. And I found that to be true. So my senior year, I started working at that cartoon syndicate I talked about. So when I graduated, they hired me on full-time. So yeah, I mean, uh, you can't beat in some ways when you're an artist being in a big city and being exposed to galleries and people and just the energy of it. And how long were you in New York? I was there four years for college and then 10 more years. So about 14 years. What was the design scene like back then? I was there early 80s through, you know, to, well, 70s into, you know, right around 1990. So we're talking the birth of hip hop. We're talking Mm -hmm. punk rock was going on when I was in college. When I look back on it, it was the best of times. (laughs) It really was. I just, I look back on that time fondly. It was a great time to be in New York City. It was affordable at that point. (laughs) Um, I was able to live in Manhattan. So that tells you it was affordable. And it was just a lot of energy, um, just people everywhere. You're exposed to all sorts of art scenes. It just seemed possible. Anything seemed possible. So most of that time in New York, were you still working for Cartoon Syndicate or did you end up going somewhere else? No, that was when I, I was only there for about a year. And then most of my time was working for two magazines, two different magazines, but always doing graphic design, graphic layout for two magazines in New York. What were the magazines? The first one was called Home Mechanics. It was the CBS version of Popular Mechanics. Mm -hmm. And I worked on that for about five, six years. And then I went to another magazine that's now defunct called Games Magazine. And it was a magazine of puzzles and brain teasers and all that, that sort of thing. I remember Games Magazine (laughs) so well. That's great. I had subscriptions to it in middle school, in high school. (laughs) I love Games Magazine. I can't believe you worked on that. I can't believe somebody else knows it. That's fantastic. (laughs) I still have my old copies on my shelf. That's wonderful. (laughs) You've made my day. (laughs) And it's funny, Maurice, because on uh, public radio, there's a puzzle show on Sundays. It comes on Sundays here. And the editor of... The guy who does all the puzzles is Will Shorts, who's the editor of the New York Times Puzzles. And I worked with him. I worked with him at Games Magazine. He was one of those game guys who were part of this magazine. So that was my sort of brush with fame. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it was a fun place to work, as you can imagine. So you were working there in New York. You were working for these two magazines. When did you end up moving to North Carolina? Uh, When I fell in love with a North Carolinian. (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, my roommate at the time in New York City was from North Carolina and so I met my husband through her 
And at the time, you know, as I said, New York was a great place to be, but I was just finding the older you get living in New York City, the more the human condition of New York City starts to wear on you. You're young in the 20s, you can put blinders on to what's really going on around you in terms of homelessness and the human condition. But the older I got, the more it just wasn't an environment I really wanted to be in. So my husband at the time was in school down here, so and he's from North Carolina, and I was ready to get out of New York at that point, so moved down to New North Carolina. Was it a big shift, like culturally? I would imagine so. It was. Big city to North Carolina, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. There's still things I miss. I think I still miss the the immediacy of information that I always felt when you live in a city like New York, you just feel like everything is at your fingertips. You know, you just walk out your door and you can find it. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I still miss. I think obviously where I am, where I'm living, you know, it's come a long way and it's a great place to be. But yeah, that's one of the things I miss yeah, so yeah, I forgot my train of thought, but that's one of the things I I still miss. But yeah, it was a shift. It was definitely a shift, and it took me a couple years to adjust. But yeah, my career started to take off down here, and it's worked out really well. Did you get back into illustration once you moved down to North Carolina? Yes, that's when I was working down here. And again, my as I mentioned before, my degree was in illustration and specifically children's book illustrations. So it was always in the back of my mind. That's what I was trained to do. That's what I wanted to accomplish. You know, that was on my bucket list to do a children's book. So I finally got to a part in my place in my career where I felt I could take something like that on and really wanted to give it a try. So I put together a portfolio packet, sent it to about five or six publishers in New York City, It was just a simple package saying, I'm going to be up in New York on Memorial Day. I'd like to stop in and show you my work. We did that. I got a couple responses and I met with two publishers and one of them gave me a book right there on the spot, which I've heard now is unheard of. But, you know, sometimes life works out that way. I clicked with her. She clicked with me. And so I got my first book assignment just on that trip. And so that was a children's book I illustrated, which it was a great, a great experience. I love doing it. I'm very proud of it. It was a picture book. It's a 32 page picture book. And as I tell people now, they take a lot longer than you think. (laughs) How so? Well, you're doing at least 16 to 18 full color illustrations, you know, and this Mm -hmm. was before computer illustrations. So you know, you're basically doing, depending on your style, a full painting for each page, if that makes sense. Okay. And so that takes time and you're back and forth with the editors and character development. The book I did has a consistent character throughout. So, you know, trying to make sure that's consistent. So yeah, it was definitely a labor of love. I got pregnant during this, (laughs) during this whole thing. And so I birthed the baby and a book all about the same time. Okay. What was the name of the book? The book is called Africa Brothers and Sisters. It's by Virginia Kroll is the author. And it the imprint is Four Winds Press, which at that time was owned by Macmillan. Had you done any other children's books since then? Or was that kind of enough? That one experience? <laughs> sort of. Yeah, let's just say that was, I mean, by that time, I had a, a one year old. And knowing that it just takes a lot of dedicated time. Yeah, I just 
I accomplished that. And maybe one day, I mean, that's the beauty I think of children's book illustration is it's sort of ageless in terms of yeah. what an illustrator can do and even a writer. So I don't think it's too late. I can probably, you know, hopefully do another one one day. I think something that's interesting now, particularly because a lot of designers, I would say of the current era, really sort of cut their teeth on design mm -hmm. in a digital sense. Yeah. A lot of them are starting to come back around to doing these more analog methods of design. There's actually a few people I've talked to here for the show that have also done children's books. So that seems to be kind of a, a recurring theme there, <laughs> like getting into doing something that's more physical and, and tangible. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I mean, I think the, well, I sort of came up through design right before computers came in. So my training was all draw it on paper first, you know, or sketch it out first. Right. So I didn't really have the experience of going to a computer first like we do now. So even now when I'm starting a design of any sort, I typically sketch it out first. And I'm always encouraging designers that I meet or, des you know, my design team, you know, put it on paper first before you go straight to the computer. So I think it does speak to that touching the paper, touching a pencil, you know, really getting into your idea that way. Because I think sometimes the computer and its tools push you to a solution mm. because of what those tools can do versus really freeing your mind using pencil and paper. So I'm a big advocate of sketching first. That's a good point about how the tools kind of push you to a solution. Have you done any digital illustration? In my current job, because we part of what I oversee is our video production. And so my illustration skills do come into play in terms of animations that we do. They're very simple. Don't get excited. I mean, they're very simple. <laughs> I draw a penny and the, then the videographer makes it move. So, but yeah, so, but again, still I'm sketching it on paper first. I typically then scan it in and trace over it in Illustrator or something like that. So yeah, I am doing digital illustration, but I'm still starting with pencil and paper. That's my comfort level. Now let's talk about the work that you're doing now. <laughs> I believe from when we spoke before, we initially we met at Hopscotch Design Festival in Raleigh, North Carolina, and you mentioned that you were working at a local college. Is that right? That is right. Right. Talk to me about what you're doing there. I love it. I mean, it's great. I tell a lot of my friends, if you ever get a chance to, as a designer, work in higher ed, jump at that chance. Because talk about a mission you can get behind, <laughs> whether it's educating young women, young men, you know, all different types of people. As a designer, I just think it's a mission you can and a purpose you can really get behind. So in my current job, I head up a design team of print designers, a videographer, and web designers and developers. So that's where the visual communications, we're visually communicating the mission and the brand of the college. So I call myself a working designer because not only am I managing their work and processes and putting on my art director hat, but I also have my own assignments. So from view books, and reports, advertising, billboards. And that's what I love about higher ed and that kind of in-house design is you really are designing everything from a keychain all the way up to a billboard. You know, you get to work on commercials, you get to art direct photo shoots. It just really stretches your talents as a designer. Yeah, there's a few designers I've talked with who are working, like you said, working in higher uh -huh. ed, like an art director, mm -hmm creative director. 
And it's the same thing. You get to do so much stuff. You're not just pigeonholed right. into doing one thing. Right. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I really, I mean, it, the day goes fast. You know, it is very demanding. You know, time goes swiftly because I think it's because we're always looking ahead. You know, like right now we're planning jobs that will launch in February. So next thing you know, it's Christmas. You know, it just feels like once the students come back and the school year starts, it just whizzes by, which is great. You know, next thing you know, you've been someplace 10 years and it just doesn't feel like it. Well, I mean, it's also good to have that kind of stability, particularly in this industry. Yeah, yeah. tools and methods and things are changing so quickly. Uh To me, it feels like higher ed is kind of one of the few spots where you can really kind of plant roots Mm -hmm. as a designer. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And it's so, I mean, you're in the business of recruiting students. So you have to stay up on trends because you're recruiting to a 17 or 18-year-old. So you have to be aware of what their world is like and what their design world is like and what their visual world is like. So I think that also helps keep you on edge, you know, on edge, on trend, on aware of what's going on. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talked at Hopscotch Design Festival, you had come to my session. My session was called Where Are the Black Designers? And before I went on stage, you know, we kind of talked about diversity in the industry. And in my talk, I sort of mentioned how there was someone, her name is uh, Cheryl D. Miller, how she was really kind of pushing and advocating for this stuff in the mid 80s to like early 90s in conjunction with AIGA. Mm -hmm. As a working designer in the industry back then, was diversity something that was really even like discussed or mentioned? Well, I was part of that diversity program Uh at CBS. So it was discussed, I was aware of it, but it wasn't as if the places I worked, I was the only person of color. And it could be because I was in New York City. You know, I don't know. It could have just been the time. Maybe more of us were starting to get into design. It seemed like a viable career path. So, and again, as I said, it was really, I was there at the birth of the hip hop scene and music. And so, I don't know if living in New York City, I ever felt that it was anything other than normal, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. It it just feels like it was it was reality. Yeah, right. It didn't feel like something that a company had to try to stretch to accommodate. It was just the sign of the times. It's just what it was. Well, I guess the only thing I would say is CBS did have a diversity program, so they were stretching. So Mm -hmm. that was probably coming out of the 70s. They were stretching to bring more people of color into their corporate world. I would just say I saw that everywhere. You know, my brother was an accountant in New York City, you know, so I think he was also part of that companies, corporations looking and trying to make a more diverse workforce. Mm -hmm. And even at Parsons, I mean, it was very diverse. It was just very diverse. So Uh, this actually leads into another question. This is a question also from Joelle. Mm -hmm. What direction do you think Parsons is kind of going in now, especially in regards to diversity and inclusion around design? I'm not sure. I don't think I can speak to that. I haven't really been keeping up on that. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think I can address that in a coherent way. (laughs) But like you said, kind of when you were at Parsons, it was pretty diverse. Absolutely. Absolutely. It really was. And as you said, it was just sort of the norm for me. I mean, I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
So I had never experienced not living in a or going to school or being part of a diverse environment. So probably my expectation was that that's what I would go, you know, that would just continue even through college and in working. How do you see the industry now as it relates to that? I am encouraged. My son just uh, graduated a year ago from North Carolina State University in design. You know, so there's another young black designer out there. And so in his class, I think his class was very diverse. And what I'm seeing even at the college I work with, I am seeing young people of color, you know, going into design and fine arts. So I am encouraged. The church I go to, we just had a student who's going to a local college as, you know, wants to be a designer. So I'm encouraged by all of those signs that perhaps it's swinging with this generation where this generation sees all possibilities. Mm -hmm. I think they see this as why not? So what is the creative scene like there in Raleigh? I mean, I came during Hopscotch, so I got to see, I think, a taste of it. But year-round, what is it like? Is it pretty vibrant? It is pretty vibrant. I think we have a lot of art festivals that attract people from all over the country. So that's always, I mean, and that's in Durham, and that's in Raleigh, and in Cary. You know, that's all the smaller communities around. So we have a very vibrant arts and crafts scene, I would say. Also, in terms of like mixed media, I think that's starting to burgeon. You know, we have something called First Friday. So you see a lot of activity around that. And that's sort of designed to showcase what's happening in the art world. So I think Raleigh specifically is doing a great job of promoting and supporting young artists. Of course, you know, we could always do more, you know, galleries come and go. But this generation just feels, to me, feels like they can start their own things, start their own businesses. So you see a lot of entrepreneurship in this area also in terms of starting startup companies, whether it's media, advertising, design, they're really doing their thing. Well, speaking of, like you said, kind of, you know, young designers and a lot of people working with them, What's sort of been your your experience with mentorship? Did you have any mentors when you were coming up? Are you mentoring designers now? Like, what's kind of the situation? Yeah, I mean, coming up, I didn't really have mentors. But, you know, it it worked out. (laughs) It worked out. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I've sort of been reflecting on that. In my own life, I am always available. I make myself available to anyone who wants to come and talk to me. And sometimes I even have adults come, you know, who are just interested in design and what I do, you know, just want to see. So I try to keep my door open to that kind of dialogue. I've spoken in front of youth groups here, specifically youth groups that are for African-American kids, and just tell them what I do. You know, I show them examples of my work And it's really, it's not selling them. I want to show them that you can have a successful career doing this, you know, and let their parents know. It's not scary. It's okay to support your your student, you know, support your child in something that may seem to, you know, sort of different than being a business person. So yeah, mainly what I do is I make myself available. So I have students come and visit me. 
even at the college I work with, they'll come and talk with me or, you know, just folks that we know. So I don't have like a formal mentor program, but I do just try to encourage wherever I can. So the student I talked about who goes to my church, who's going on to art school, she came and talked to me and she spent like a half a, most of a part of an afternoon with me, you know, and I just walked her through what I did and just encouraged her that, yeah, you have talent, give it a try. So how do you keep motivated and inspired with the work that you're doing? What kind of gets you going? I get motivated and inspired by coming home and painting and drawing. (laughs) And I even continue to take classes and painting classes and drawing classes or whatever I'm interested in. So I'm still a student myself. But, you know, you find that sometimes you just need to do something different. I like to do something different in the art field, but for me, it tends to be a painting or a drawing or creating something. In my job, we just draw in, we draw inspiration from each other because there's all different age groups. There's all different backgrounds. So we make sure we're always critiquing and reviewing each other's work, bringing other perspectives. And that keeps you going. You know, it's, you want to be competitive. You want to be do, be doing good work. So we tend to just feed off of each other and going, you know, going to things like hopscotch, you know, we were lucky to be able to do something like that. That gets everyone inspired going to museums, galleries, you know, I have a very supportive husband who trucks along to the galleries with me <laughs> and to, to the art shows, you know, he brings that stuff to my attention. So I've been lucky in that way. So walk me through like a typical day, because like you said, at at Meredith, you're kind of doing a little bit of everything from art direction to photo shoots to keychains, et cetera. But what's a a typical day like for you there? It starts very early. (laughs) So I can, you know, just have that moment to inspire yourself to to make it through Mm -hmm. the day. So my typical day is planning meetings, photo shoots, working on design, managing critiquing. It's all of that. Probably you name it, Maurice, and that's part of my day. So I keep lots of lists. I'm always crossing off. That's the only way I can get through my day is make a list. I'm like that too. (laughs) And uh, Yeah, you know, make a list. I don't even try to prioritize it. It's just here's my list and just start crossing stuff off just to keep yourself straight. But part, I mean, I am in my role very aware and responsible for the brand of the college and making sure that the brand is being adhered to and making sure it's always looking the best it can. So that's a big part of my job in terms of reviewing work and reviewing work on the campus, just to make sure, you know, it's something as simple as we're using the right colors on something or, you know, the word mark or the logos are being used properly. So it's demanding, but, you know, as I said, I thrive in that environment, but it's just a very busy, very different day. No day is, is the same. Mm-hmm. What's the best advice that you've kind of been given regarding design? Like you've been working in this industry mm-hmm. for such a long time. I'm sure you probably picked up a lot of knowledge yeah. here and there, but what's some of the best advice that you've gotten? That it's not life or death. So you can recover from mistakes. So try not to do your best not to internalize 
and take it personally. And, you know, that's one of the things I always try to pass that along to especially young designers who, you know, because when you're in school, it's sort of that false environment of you can spend eight weeks, you know, working on a brochure. The reality is you might have two weeks to work on a brochure. So you have to learn to let things go. And you have to learn we're in, we joke because we're in this business where we are constantly critiqued when you think about it. Everything, oh, we, yeah. everything we do is critiqued. So you have to really have a strong backbone, you know, to be able to deal with that day after day after day, especially when you're in any sort of in-house design situation. You know, you have to be able to take those critiques and not internalize it, not take it personally, listen, compromise, you know, and move on. So that's the best advice I got. And that's the best advice I try to pass along because otherwise it'll just eat you up. You know, if you really take all of that review and feedback to heart like that. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? That makes total sense. I think for a lot of students, particularly, that can be a hard pill to swallow because art school may sort of train you up in one way. And granted, you do get a lot of critiques and Mm -hmm. things in in art school. But then once you leave art school, maybe you go to an agency, maybe you go to a company, maybe you do freelance. And it's like an entirely different ball game but you know that same tenet of being able to just kind of do the best work you can Mm -hmm. because ultimately you know for a lot of this work it's not really in service of ourselves right it's in service of the client or whatever the particular goal is so it's you know you can't really take it that seriously yeah and I just think that comes what I have observed is that it just comes over time you know it's easy for me to say that but they sort of have to live it (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. (laughs) Really get to that point of, okay, I get it. You know, I can leave this. I can go home. It'll be here tomorrow. Yeah. It's that saying hindsight is 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Are there any other designers out there that you really admire, like anyone else's work that you, you really like? It's not so much work. I mean, not so much individual designers, but there are places I look for inspiration. So, so for example, in terms of design, I mean, I still love magazine design. So, you know, we get too many magazines in here. We can't even read them all. But part of why I get a lot of magazines is because I think sometimes that's some of the best sort of layout design. And those are, you know, that's where you can see because if it's a monthly magazine, you know, they're having to change that every month. So I get a lot of inspiration from still looking at magazine design. I get a lot of inspiration, as I mentioned, from going to galleries and museums just for composition and color ideas. And yeah, I get inspired by my son, you know, who's a product designer. And his brain is very different than mine. And his visual cues are very different from mine. So, you know, I look at his work and say, wow, you know, I wouldn't have thought of that. That's amazing what you're doing because he sees in dimensions. You know, he's a dimensional designer. So it's it's cool. You know, it's, it's just amazing to see his mind work and see what he comes up with. He just bought himself a 3D printer, you know, so he's, oh, wow. yeah, I mean, so he's pumping out this, you know, he sees it, you know, he, he draws it, I suppose. And, you know, the 3D printer pumps it out. It's, it's exciting. It's exciting. I mean, I feel like that's so interesting as, you know, a mother and son 
designer like that? Have you two ever worked together on any any projects or anything? Well, I'm an Aries and he's a Taurus. Okay. <laughs> so you got a bull and a ram. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm his mother. So <laughs> I don't know if we've gotten to that part point yet, Maurice. It's a little... uh you know, we have different ways of seeing things and doing things, but yeah, we have a good time. But yeah, we'll have to think about working together on something at some point. Were you always kind of really interested in design, like even as a kid? Yeah. Did you have sort of this notion for it? Yeah, I was that kid. I was always drawing, always, like from the time I can remember. I was the kid who, yes, drew on the wall in the house. <laughs> and Luckily for me, A, I was in Philadelphia, so, you know, that's a big city with great art museum. And my parents and aunts from the very beginning never treated me wanting to be an artist as something I shouldn't be. So I was encouraged and supported from the very beginning. I mean, to the point where it was, well, Vanessa's the artist, so we're going to go to this art museum. Whether I, you know, thought that I was eight years old, but the family was there and the family said, we're going to make an artist. So luckily for me, I was just encouraged and supported the whole way. I mean, I took art classes, whatever was available in the Philadelphia public school system. They had Saturday morning art classes when I was growing up. So they made sure I was signed up for that. Going to museums, the Philadelphia Art Museum, doing that kind of thing in my between junior and senior year. In high school, my parents sent me to Carnegie Mellon for a pre-college art program, which I think helped get me into Parsons. And, you know, when you think about it, when I said I wanted to go to art school, that was okay. You know, it was fine. So I applied and, you know, got in. So, you know, even now I'm the artist. Vanessa's the artist. So (laughs) let's ask her. (laughs) No, that's so awesome that you really had that strong family support really from the beginning and that they never tried to stop you or deter you or anything from moving forward. No, but I will say my dad, as when I was an adult and, you know, and established and and working, hopefully if he listens to this, he won't mind me saying this. But he turned to me one day and said, you know, your mom and I thought we were going to have to support you your whole life. So (laughs) we're really pleased that we didn't have to. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there still was a little bit of, well, we'll see how this works out. I can't really thank them enough for, and my brother and sister and everyone in my family for that kind of support I got. And so I'm always pleased now when I see parents still taking that leap of faith, you know, to encourage their children to be an artist or a musician or, you know, something that might have an iffy future. And you did that with your son, too. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Maurice, I thought I was raising a doctor, but okay, that didn't (laughs) didn't happen (laughs) because we were sending him to science classes, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, when it really became apparent that he had this sort of spatial design talent, you know, it was sort of a no brainer that he should be a product designer. What advice would you give to someone out there that maybe wants to kind of follow in your footsteps or just kind of wants to know? In terms of getting started with design, where should they look? Where should they go? What what advice would you give them? Do you mean if they have or have not gone to school? We'll say they have not gone to school. Okay. So as someone who is just sort of uh, interested in this. Yeah. 
I think I would encourage them to do the research and sort of that question you ask me about what inspires you. I would encourage mm-hmm. them to do some research about what does inspire them, what kind of design inspires you. And then just like any musician or anyone doing anything creative, you have to start practicing. You know, we all in school hated to have to keep a sketchbook every day, unless you're really a sketchbook artist, but you have to start practicing. You have to start doing it and start to look at what you like and try to, you know, unpack that and see, well, why do I like that design and how can I make that part of my design aesthetic? So my first thing would be to find out what you like, do some research about that, and then just start doing it. Start designing websites on your own or start drawing on your own or start painting. I mean, we're lucky here in our area. We have a lot of low cost options, you know, whether it's art centers or NC State has a you know, a local community arts center. So there's ways to learn and practice, you know, try to find a mentor, try and find a teacher. And, you know, it's definitely possible. I mean, I've seen it happen. So I would encourage them to give it a try. And don't feel, you know, if you draw something, because I find that, I mean, I've been in those art classes where you have the person who has all this talent, you know, so they're drawing this dog and it looks just like a dog. And then they're standing next to somebody who's never drawn a dog before, but they really want to be a painter. So you have to, you know, sort of have that tunnel vision of this is my language. This is how I paint. This is how I draw. And I like it. And it's making me happy. So don't be discouraged and don't compare yourself to someone who may have more experience than you. Are you where you kind of wanted to be at at this stage in your life? Yeah, I am where I want to be, I guess, as, you know, I'm starting my career is where it is. I am starting to think what's next. I don't know what that is. I don't know. As you said, is it another children's book? Is it trying to be a gallery artist? You know, that's where my mind goes. It's sort of starting to fulfill that other part, that drawing, that painting part of me. So I enjoy the graphic design. I get a lot of fulfillment out of it. So it's more what will fulfill me versus where's my career going next. If you could choose any space in the world, like this could be anywhere, and, and create a design for it, where would it be and what would you make? I have two thoughts. My first thought was Paris. I've never been to Paris. It's my dream to go to Paris and sit and paint. (laughs) So what I would create would be what I see around me. Mm -hmm. And then I have a very good friend who is a fashion designer, but lately her career has morphed into African textiles. You should talk with her. She would be a great person for you to interview. The work she does and she is just, uber creative, but she's taking our African story and manifesting that into textiles and installations. So getting more involved in that and what she's doing and just that whole textile and vibrancy of what African textiles represent, I've been ruminating in my head, like how do I incorporate those African textiles into the kind of paintings I do? So yeah, I probably didn't answer your question, but 
No, you you kind of did. You kind of did. So you said you would you would be in Paris and you would I guess paint. I would. I would. Yeah. I would. I paint or draw what's around me. Right. So the space I see myself in, or or the kind of design, it would be. Yeah, I think back to a city. You know, back to a city I haven't been in. Where do you see yourself in like the next five years or so? I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I live in so much the moment and so much the now, and part of it is my job. I don't know if I've had time to really reflect on where I see myself five years from now. I hope that I am, as I said, I hope I am more involved in my interest. I hope that I have found a way to balance my work and life so that I have the time to devote to that. That would be my wish for five years from now. All right. Well, Vanessa, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can people contact you if they want to find out more about you or if they have any questions? Sure. I'm happy to give out my email address. It is design, D-E-S-I-G-N, 250 at com. All right. Sounds good. Vanessa French-Harris, thank you again so much for taking the time out of your day. I know we kind of scheduled this a little bit last minute, but I'm glad that you were flexible to talk with me. It was really good kind of hearing about basically like what it was like for you when you were a designer in the 80s coming up, what that time was like, and then sort of how you're still working now. And it seems like you haven't lost at all, that you haven't lost that spark to create and to design and to kind of pay it forward. So Thank you for taking time out to speak with me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Maurice. I had a great time, and I hope you have some stuff you can use. (laughs) (laughs) And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Vanessa French-Harris, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Vanessa through the link in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, as always, to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes down to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover, of course, is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code ROADTO100 at checkout. Lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful, ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com and pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday. And if you see something else that you like, use our discount code REVISIONPATH and save 20% off your purchase. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, This Is My Tape For You, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners. I'll read your review right here on the show. Oh, and don't forget to send me your comments for our 100th episode. I need those by October 9th. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge your support. 
Pledge levels start at just $1 per month, and you'll get access to behind-the-scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.